0: All right, folks, you are listening to the Shai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Ronald Reagan International Airport, or is it National Airport, here in beautiful Washington, D.C. And I am uh, looking at the tarmac right now, and I see the National Mall from here, and Capitol's not too far away, and I am sitting here waiting to get my flight to JFK, and from JFK Terminal 4 to to Tel Aviv, and then... uh, take all my stuff, get in the car, drive home uh, to Judea, to Gush and then uh, get ready soon after for uh, the holiday of Rosh Hashanah, the new month. And so I'm very, very excited to go home, but also very satisfied after a fabulous trip uh, here in the United States, which uh, included a whole lot of Texas, and not only uh, Jewish communities, but non-Jewish communities and groups uh, who are interested in... uh, uh, in Israel and in the Holy Land and in the Bible and in Torah And it's, it's really fun to be out in Texas Because Texas is just a place um, How should I say it's a spiritual place um, um, You know, I go to a lot of places around the world uh, And I go to a lot of places in the U.S. It happens to be that Texas, I find, to be um, A place where where the consciousness of God and the Bible are near, are near. Obviously, uh, not everybody shares the Jewish faith out there uh, but people still do love uh, the, the Jewish Bible and the Jewish people and Israel. And how should I say, it's just easy there. It's natural. I don't mean easy like like off the shelf, it's no big deal. I mean to say it, it comes naturally to people to love Israel, to believe that God is bringing the Jewish people back to uh, the Holy Land and fulfilling His promises from the Bible. It's just something that's near to them. Why is it near to them? Um... Partially because they're there, as I said uh, in one of the places that I spoke, I said, uh, one of the congregations, I said, Mamas, mamas, keep teaching the Bible to your children. That is the key to the future of a better America, a stronger America Israel relationship, uh, and, a, and, a, and a stronger world if we just read the Bible more. And people just agreed with me simply. Um, another part of it is not just the Bible, but also the Texas spirit, uh, a kind of independence, a fierceness, uh, about, uh, you know, an unabashedness of a feeling that, you know, this is the right way to go. Uh, And, you know, they're just not embarrassed about being guns and family um, and nationalism. And the three pillars, I always give a talk about the three pillars of the Jewish people in the land of Israel or the state of Israel, and that those, the pillars are three, the Bible, Nationalism or patriotism And defense And when I mention these three pillars In some quarters uh, Let's say, you know, in Western Europe People don't understand any of those pillars And I'm not going to go into the big talk now And I've given it before And if you want, I come to your community and do it But uh, uh, the bottom line is When you're in Texas and you mention the Bible People are like, yes You mention nationalism or patriotism People say, yes You say defense, people say, obviously and so that was my, my, uh, my time in Texas, and of course seeing uh, great friends as well, uh, who are really part of the story in their way, and sometimes they're you know uh, uh, not uh, of, of my religious persuasion. Uh, but they are of a biblical persuasion, and they love God, and they love their faith, and God is in their heart. And, and that term, by the way, you know, is in my heart. God spoke to me. God told me. God, you know, put it on my heart. There's a few Christian terms that I really like, that I think are really great. You know, God put it on my heart. You know, he, he, I have a heart for something. I like that a lot. Uh, in any case, uh, speaking uh, of Christian folks who love Israel, um, you have heard of the story of the uh, red heifers, Right, the 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 cows that are red and are meant to be part of uh, the Priestly rite of uh, um, of of creating this uh, afar. How do we say afar in English? Gosh, it's it's been a long trip. This ash uh, that you could uh, that you could th- you know mix with water, It throws on people and uh, Jews, and it gets rid of the energy of death. The um, the, negative, the negative energy of death that surrounds all things. And as I've explained in this show before, you know one of the miracles of the Jewish people, the main miracle, is the ability to escape death and to continue on through the ages and through different empires and periods. And that's because when you connect with godliness, you're really able to skirt the, one of the most powerful energies that this world has. The most powerful energy is life. Uh, but it's, other, other, it's, its related energy is death. And yet the Jewish people go through time. Uh, How do they do that? Well, one of the ways, the main ways, connecting to the holiness of Hashem, uh, through the mitzvot, the commandments that He gave us, and one of those, which is not yet today activated, is the red heifer. Well, uh, there's been these red heifers that have been transported, five of them have been transported to the land of Israel, and they're on display, or about to be on display. It's a very special story, and I met a gentleman named Byron Stinson uh, in Texas whose hand is behind this push uh, to bring these red heifers uh, to the Holy Land. Let's uh, listen to that. All right, folks, Eshai Fleischer here, and I am at the house of my good friends uh, Anne and John Stacy uh, in beautiful Granbury, Texas, uh, on the river or lake out here, very beautiful. And we just had a wonderful evening uh, talking about Israel, and a lot of friends came over, including Byron Stinson, who is a man who has uh, a lot of love for the Bible, and there's a great article about him and his effort in the Jerusalem Post called From Texas to Israel, Red Heifers Needed for Temple Arrive. And the subtitle is, A Christian Farmer in Texas Raised the Prize Heifers, which are essential for priests To serve in the temple. And that's not that's not even so correct because it's not essential for priests to serve in the temple. It's actually essential for a very amazing aspect of uh, of of life with a temple for all Jews, and that is the ability to get rid of ritual impurity brought on by death or contact with death. And so in many ways, the red heifer, the para aduma, is a secret of the Bible, about eternity, about connecting to God through getting rid of one of the most pernicious of all energies in this world, and that is the energy of death. And so uh, the article continues, the heifers were located and brought to Israel with the help of Bone Israel organization, Bone Israel organization, which involves both Jews and Christians. Byron Stinson, a Texas rancher and a fundraiser and advisor for the organization, raised the cattle. The heifers were greeted by a ceremony at Ben Gurion Airport. Well, there's a lot of details uh, about that, and I am very privileged to be with Byron Stinson right now here at this beautiful home. And he was telling me so much, uh, you were telling me so much about uh, the story of the red heifers, and and before we get into the technicalities of which is a very interesting story about how you were able to bring five red cows to the land of Israel, first thing
1: why 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 get into this well, uh, before we get into the why there 's a couple of things in that story that aren 't exactly correct. And so I want you to be the guy that tells it right, okay, and helps. Because sometimes these stories get told and people get confused. So let me just say plainly that even though I have a small ranch and I have some cows, I didn't raise these red cows. What happened was we've been doing many projects in Israel since 2007. And because of that, there were rabbis in Israel that reached out to me. These rabbis feel like that... I am part of Israel scattered into the nations. They saw my love for Israel. They saw my passion to serve Israel. And they said, we want to uh, reach out to someone to see if they can find these cows. So we put a team together, and we scoured the whole United States. As it turned out, I found ranchers, two of them here in Texas, that raised the most beautiful red cattle you've ever seen. One rancher is Santa Gertrudis. The other is Red Angus. And those ranchers participated and we were able to get the cows. Wait, those it. are two kinds of cows? Yeah, two different kinds of cows. It's uh, you got Red Angus, a very red breed, and then you have another breed. It's called Santa Gertrudis. And so the five cows we took to Israel, two were Santa Gertrudis and three were Red Angus. Okay.
0: So back to—thanks for clarification. And now uh, explain to me why is a Goy, a Gentile, sure. of the nations— Concerned with bringing cows to israel, that sounds just the thought of it logistically sounds like a humongous pain in the tuchus. Why pain in, in the, why why would you why would you undertake this undertaking of trying to bring this cows to israel and what 's it for? I mean were you for example were you were
1: you expecting that this would be used in temple service so the why of it is uh, I was brought to a love of Israel from the time I was a young man. I actually uh, heard the Lord speak to me, not to me, but uh, to the guy sitting next to me, which is a very bad person, and told him he was going to use me with the Jewish people. And so what what we're getting to here by by us coming together is that we have both spirit and truth working together so that we can actually uh, see the Lord open our eyes to more things that he wants to do so that we can return from death And that we can see eternal life come because that at the end, if we don't have that happen, then we're all going to die and have no hope. So when I I understand the Bible, I've read the Bible, I saw the grace and the love in the Bible in the Old Testament. And so I've studied the Old Testament probably far more than the New Testament my whole life. So when I get to Israel and I start doing projects in places that are absolutely biblical Then I saw the need of uh, serving every way I could. And And so when these rabbis reached out to me, they said, we see you as Israel in the nations. And this Bible verse in Numbers 19 says, say unto Israel, bring us a red heifer. And they said, we're saying to you, to Israel, bring us a red heifer. And I know that there is a promise of reconciliation between Israel and Judah that has to happen in the last days. And so what I did was I took that burden on myself, the cost and the time and the effort to put the team together, not for myself, but I did it for all the churches scattered into the lands of the nations to represent them to say, we want to bring that to our fathers of faith and present this to you as our gift to you because you are doing everything you can to follow the word of God. You are trying your best to fulfill every word, and we want to tell you we love you, we appreciate it, and here's our gift to you, these red cows. Okay,
0: and also there's something very Texan about the whole thing, right? So I've always noticed that there is a confluence between you know, faith but also a certain ethos of places like Texas. It, it, it seeps in. You know, you're talking about raising cows, yeah. and you're talking about bringing them to, to the land. Okay, so now all right, you, you have all this... Uh, ideology slash theology um, of a connection to Israel. But uh, but between, and there's a lot of people out here in these parts that have shades of this one way or the other. But uh, from that to actually try to bring cows into Israel with the bureaucracy and the cost, why don't you give me a taste at least of what it took to bring these heifers to Israel?
1: Well, uh, I'll just give you the top number. It was over $500,000 we needed to raise to make it happen. And uh, and we had no way of knowing how in the world we'd be able to raise that. But uh, my wife and I had been blessed with some finances. I own two businesses, and they both do well, and and so we were able to help with about a half of that. And then other people came and uh, and put in the rest of it, and together we raised the money so we could get them there. The air, just the airfare from JFK into. Uh, Ben-Gurion by itself was about $200,000 or a little more, just that portion. But there was a lot of pieces, and it took a lot to uh, put it all together. But at the same time, the Lord provided it, it really wasn't even us. It's just him. He, When it was needed, the money came. There's never extra. You always are just, how are we going to get to the next step? But then when it came to the next step, he opened the door. And that's, he's been doing that for us now. For We've been there since 2007 doing projects, and he always opens the door at the right time.
0: Uh, but one of the biggest hurdles, of course, was the bureaucracy of, yeah. of livestock to a different country, yeah. and not to mention the bureaucracy of Israel as well. And you had to deal with government issues. They weren't so excited parts of the government, and they put stumbling blocks. And I can understand. That's some weird stuff, right, flying sure. in cows, right? Sure.
1: Yeah, it, It
0: was definitely. You you told me. You told me, for example, that there's a stipulation that you're actually not allowed to bring American uh, livestock into Israel, but you found a way around it by calling them pets.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's right. We have five. That's why we only brought five. Actually, what happened once we had uh, found the red cows. There, there was that. We had to get to them before they were tagged because if they put a tag in their ear, they have a blemish and you can't use them. So we got to the ranchers and we looked at their cows that were already red and that they were over three years old and they were still perfectly red. So we knew we could get some, uh, some new babies out of them that could, could still be pure after thir- uh, age three. And that's the ones we were looking for. So then uh, what happened was uh, we were able to get 21 of them together. And then we flew we paid for rabbis to secretly just come in and do the inspection to make sure that they agreed with uh, what we had done, that, that they were good. We thought, well, maybe, you know, six of them would be good or ten of them be good. It turned out that they uh, picked out the eight best, but actually all of them were completely red. And then they picked out the eight best and we held on to them for a few months when it came time for us to ship them we wanted to ship at least 7 that was my plan from the very beginning they they asked me like to, the ark yeah they asked me to find one and you know they found one about 10 different times i guess They've, there's been one that always fails and i'm like to me let's get 7 and that was the number but as it came down to the day then the the, the stipulation in israel is you can only fly in up to 5 or bring in import into the land up to only five pets so we had we had to limit it down to just five instead of seven all right
0: it's the modern day noah's ark yeah.
1: and they got on a
0: commercial airline on american airlines is that right that's right and they flew business class or first class these cows
1: what do they fly <laughs> well, they were definitely lower class <laughs> they were in the cargo bin but they were very happy you know it was amazing we had they made aliyah they made Aliyah. I was there to greet them as they came off the plane, and we were there with the Temple Mountain Institute and many other uh, leaders, and we just celebrated and danced, and we had such a wonderful time. And the cows were just the most well-behaved. They looked so beautiful, and uh, <laughs> they—they just—they just still are just wonderful. Now we have one that we feel like it probably has a couple of too many white hairs. And uh, so that one, even though it might could be kosher, uh, that one we're talking about going ahead and trying to breed her back with the extra red uh, bull and go ahead. Because we're looking to future generations. Mm-hmm. We're not just looking for now. Mm-hmm. And so all of them will be used. Uh, there is hopes that uh, if, if the... Everything lines up, and and we're able to do it. We'd like to see uh, the actual ceremony on the Mount of Olives happen in uh, Passover 2024.
0: And that would involve uh, some hyssop, and some crimson, uh, and some cedar, if I recall correctly. And so, and you put that together, you you put, you burn it all in a fire, and those ashes together uh, can make a tincture of sorts. Uh, and that tincture, when sprayed properly by a priest. Uh and not doesn't have to be a high priest, uh, would get rid of viscerate uh the spiritual impurity yes. uh of, of being in contact with death. Interestingly, is that it happens on the Mount of Olives, which is uh, really a Jewish cemetery. Uh, and so sometimes I like to think that it's almost like poking death in the eye. It's like, like it's like you go into a cemetery and you're like, in this place, from here on we we can defeat you, death. To me, it's very interesting. I've I've always thought that. The way to talk about the red heifer is that uh, the greatest miracle, that the greatest proof of God's existence in this world is the continuing existence of the Jewish people. Absolutely. There's some ability to defeat the natural uh, end of all nations yeah. uh, and the solution of all nations at the end, and that is only being connected to God and therefore somehow being able to cheat or beat yeah. death. And that's what the red heifer really, really stands for. And uh, you're bringing uh, this Texas spirit, uh, with a love of the Bible, a love of Israel from the nations, and bringing these these things, uh, these animals uh, to the land, helping them make Aliyah, and that's there's that's a certain. I would say it's kind of almost like a an offering of the nations by bringing them in.
1: Yeah, it sure is. And you know, you, you didn't mention probably the hardest part that that you have to have for this uh, ceremony. And by the way, the land where it's where uh, we're going to do the ceremony was actually offered to us uh, 12 years ago, and we we're able to purchase
0: Which that. ceremony? You're not planning to do the actual burning ceremony.
1: Yes. Yeah, on the Mount of Olives, uh, we actually got the piece of land that is not in the cemetery. It's right over, if you know where, the uh, city of Jerusalem has a uh, walking park over there. See, the site has to be exactly at the height of the te- where the temple will be built. And so we wound up with the exact it, it, place.
0: It, it, the Tamil talks about that it had to be in sight, not of just the temple, uh but into the holy of Holies,
1: yeah, and we have that that, that was that, that's what was amazing is that became available twelve years ago, and so it was able to go into Bot Israel, and you know when we first got it, well, we can't say no to this opportunity we, uh and we thought, well, maybe this is where we build the red heifer restaurant and we could serve some steaks in there, or maybe this is where we need to have like a some place to I'll look over the Temple Mountain, and then it turned out that we found the actual red heifer. So then we knew what the why the Lord had given that to us. I wouldn't say it's naturally uh, our own ability to do any of this. It actually, and I don't think it's it's the Jewish people's ability to be back in the land. I just believe God's hand was on it because He wasn't going to let His enemies say that they were greater than Him. He's brought the Jewish people back for his own glory and for the whole world to understand that when he speaks, it happens in the end. He tells from the beginning what he's going to do at the end, and now he's culminating. And whether this happens with these particular red heifers on this particular spot or later on, it happens 100 years from now, it doesn't really matter. It will happen because the Bible says it's going to happen, and the Bible hadn't been wrong about anything yet, so it's not going to be wrong about that either. And I get to participate in that, and that's amazing.
0: Byron Stinson, thank you very much for uh, your great contribution. And uh, may uh, you be witness to the full ceremony of the Red Heifer uh, on, the, on the Mount of Olives and the reinstitution of the temple service. God bless you.
1: Bishai, thank you. And thank you for all you're doing in the land. And let's continue to see all the land come under control of uh, the people of God.
0: Well, that's really special. Thank you, Byron. And and thank you so much for, um, you know, loving the Bible so much. You go out of your way. And these people go out of their way. What does it mean out of their way? Great cost and great effort uh, to connect holiness to the land of Israel. And that's one of the things that happens to me a lot. You know, um, I find the Bible. I find the Torah. Everywhere, alive and well, and I, I look for it, but I find it. What do I mean? Just now, I was, uh, I was, uh, I went into the Hudson News place, and guess what? National Geographic had inside the Dome of the Rock, and and I picked it up, but I bought it because I saw a spark, a soft spark of Israel. That's what Israel's supposed to be. It's supposed to be this thing that lights up throughout the world, uh, and and touches people in such a way as it brings them a little bit a shtickle. Of, of spirituality. They know that there's a, there's, there's a, there's a holy land. That holy land is something you pilgrimage to. And even if you don't pilgrimage to, when it sends its spark out to you, it touches you and you get closer to God in your heart about through that. Um, one of the main reasons uh, that I'm here in the U.S. Um, is the biblical highway. And the movie that David Friedman uh, has made, Ambassador David Friedman with Mike Pompeo, and I went to a very uh, special uh, premiere of that in Washington D.C. That's what I'm. That's why I'm in this airport right now because I'm on the way home from that. I want to tell you about that. Before I do, I want to remind people that uh, the Jewish community of Hebron uh, is is an amazing way to connect to uh, the biblical highway and the land, uh, the Holy Land, and that you could find more information about Hebron through HebronFund.org. But you know, that's the tomb of the mamas and papas, uh, the founders of the. Uh, of the biblical story, uh, the people who walked in faith uh, from the get go. So that's uh, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Leah. And of course, King David as well. And that's all uh, in Hebron. Hebronfund.org. And, and uh, similarly, if you're thinking about reading the National Geographic, Dome of the Rock, uh, read uh, High on the Har, which is how Jewish people go up on the Temple Mount in holiness. Highonthehar.com. Uh, and also, if you're out there, uh, uh, you know, thinking about Israel, make sure you get the news the right way which is uh, jewishpress.com and jns.org. Both the great partners for the Ishai Fleischer show. I read them, follow them, enjoy their emails. I do recommend that you get the emails from the news organizations that are good because it changes you when you kind of just get the email in your inbox and you already can scan it and know what's going on. Um, Gosh, so um, I see these beautiful choppers right now flying over the mall uh, in... um, black choppers they look like yeah they're black hawks flying over the national mall maybe they're on official business bringing some important people or military folks pentagon is here really the, the the united states capital is here that's obvious but like you could really feel it uh, one of the things by the way that i'm always jealous of around here is the chachkis the knickknacks i love the national knickknacks okay god israel make more knickknacks and souvenirs and what we call tchotchkes for for for, uh, for, for, for the Holy Land. Why is that so hard? God Almighty, let's do this. I'm, I'm pushing for that. If you're interested in that, write me an email, isha, isha Um. So yeah, uh, back to the Biblical Highway last night. I uh, got a chance to go to this premiere at one of my favorite places, the Museum of the Bible, uh, on the National Mall here in Washington. Uh, and there were many good people, including uh, Ambassador uh, Gilad Erdan. Um, and um, you're going to hear from, uh, of course, Shmuli Boteach, the one and only, the uh, <laughs> the the what's the word indefatigable, Shmuli Boteach. I think that if, if that easy word was easier to pronounce, that would be his title. Uh, and you're going to hear him. He's a he's a funny guy, uh, but he's also a great man and a and a great thinker uh, and a friend of mine. Uh, so here's uh, Shmuli Boteach with me uh, at the premiere of the Biblical Highway movie at the Museum of the Bible in Washington alright once again life has thrown me into a situation where my friend Rabbi shmuel Botech is close to me I'm very lucky to see you today I didn't expect that and we're at the Museum of the Bible celebrating the release of this new film which is Route 60 the Biblical Highway uh, I had the great merit of being part of the creation of this idea and now it's a reality here it's still not yet a full reality on the ground but if, if you're involved Rabbi shmuel Botech it will be Tell me about why you're here uh, in Washington,
2: D.C., celebrating this new movie. This movie is just crazy when you think about it. An American Secretary of State doing any hosting any kind of documentary is almost unprecedented, let alone one about Judea and Samaria, the biblical highway, the great places of Jewish history, uh, Shiloh, where the sanctuary stood for 369 years. Obviously, what the world costs, calls East Jerusalem, that's not always East Jerusalem. That's the undivided capital of Israel, Jerusalem all these places that are uh, as Secretary Pompeo says in the film go across the American heartland half of uh, our cities half of our churches are named after these places so I'm here to celebrate this incredible achievement that's awesome by the way you look great, you lost a lot of weight you're, what's going on here? You're,
0: like, you're not sick, right? you're healthy
2: uh, well I have a broken arm as you can see um, there were 40 anti-Semites after me I took out 39 but the 40th proved the challenge so I have a broken arm uh, I hope I'm healthy, God willing. I mean, connected to God, how could we be unhealthy? But it's not that I lost weight, Yeshai Fleischer. It's that I rather transformed it all into muscle. Uh, I'm beca- I've become a bodybuilder. I'm now Rabbi Shmuley Universe, and uh, I uh, the universe you know, is Rabbi. You know, look. After winning the uh, People Magazine Sexiest Rabbi Alive for eight years and beating you out eight consecutive years, I just began to feel like I didn't want to further emasculate you in any way. So <laughs> I. It's time to go in a different direction. Well, I'm thankful about that. And uh,
0: speaking of emasculation, uh, the Bible is uh, being emasculated by forces like the Palestinian Authority that want to erase uh, Joshua's altar. And here today, the opposite, we are celebrating. I want you to know that we want to work on getting the Israeli government to recognize Route 60 as the biblical highway. We've got to make this stuff real. The other side is making their erasure very real.
2: Well, uh, in the last week, you saw that Mahmoud Abbas, who is always championed as the moderate, actually said that Jews deserved to be annihilated in the Holocaust. He said they were usurers and moneylenders. And even the city of Paris, France is not known to be a great friend of Israel or the Jewish people. Even the city of Paris rescinded and publicly repudiated any honor they ever bestowed on him. So we now know that the other side that is trying to erase Jewish history actually participates in erasing not just Jewish history but the Jews in modern history. Uh, first, Mahmoud Abbas wrote a PhD thesis saying there wasn't Holocaust. Now he said actually there was, but they deserved it. You know, make up your mind. Did we deserve to die? They're or both did true. We not die. Yeah, um, yes. But I was speaking to uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., who is running for the presidency of the United States, and I sent him that article, and I remember he said to me that this stuff is so laughable that you can't even make it up. It's just so comical. And he's a Democrat, of course. Uh, The real challenge is to go beyond just our Republican friends, like David Friedman and and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who are hosting this incredible Biblical Highways film, to our Democratic friends. And to have them participate, because they're religious people as well. They're Christians. They understand the the history here. This is not just a one-party thing. You know, Judea and Samaria are expressions that should be used by every American. There is no such thing as a West Bank. To call the Jordan River is about, you know, four feet across. You can, like, leapfrog it. And to call the entire area where Jewish history unfolds, the West Bank is like calling uh, California, New Mexico, uh, uh, Iowa, the West Bank of the Mississippi. It's It's just a joke. It's to, it's to take those states and rob them of a name. And all of this was done on purpose in order to de-Judaize um, these areas. So I want to see one of the great things that can come from this film, Ishai Fleischer, is the that the nomenclature, that the words Judea and Samaria will enter the common American vernacular. Very good, very good. nomenclature is important, um,
0: and the celebration uh, of the Bible, as and, and this museum does that so well, which is, this is one of the forces in human history one of the major forces and yet so much of it has been erased you know 200 years ago at Harvard they studied the Bible in Hebrew and now you can walk around Harvard nobody knows the book of Genesis uh, and so
2: to fight to bring the Bible back to life I wish the Jews knew it forget Harvard I wish the Jews knew something about the Bible you know I study Bible with a lot of my non-Jewish friends Christian friends and they're actually they don't say it because they don't want to be offensive but they're gobsmacked they're astonished when they try to raise biblical verses with their Jewish friends and they're amazed that the Jews know almost nothing. It's actually really sad how ignorant we are of our own history. About a mile from where we're standing right now at the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C., is the great monument to Martin Luther King, uh, the greatest American of the 20th century. Now, a week ago was the 60th anniversary of his uh, march on Washington. It took an African-American preacher who gave his life for civil rights, Martin Luther King, to teach the Jews about their own Bible. His speeches are all about Zechariah, Jeremiah, Micah, Isaiah. When he was giving these speeches, half the Jews were looking at each other in 1960 and say, uh, well, what's he talking about? Like, they didn't know these verses. They're present in the African-American churches, in the evangelical churches, in the Catholic churches, but they're not that present in everyday Jewish life. All right, we've got to learn the Bible and stop
0: being Bible illiterates. Folks, the best folks out there are the people who, their mamas... Read them the Bible. I spoke here at a a non-Jewish congregation, and I said to them, Mamas, keep reading the Bible to your kids. Shmuli Botech is America's rabbi and also
2: the founder of the uh, World Values Values Network. Network. And And, and the Values University. And People Magazine's Sexiest Rabbi Alive. Nine years of running. I'm jealous. Don't be. Okay, that was Shmuli
0: Botech, and he is the one and only. He's such a special man. (laughs) There's nothing like Shmuley, (laughs) he's just, what what an awesome person he is, what an awesome character he is. And actually you're going to hear him once again, uh, in the next segment I interview David Friedman uh, about the movie that he put out, which was an amazing movie. And here's the caveat, okay, it is an amazing movie of the biblical highway, but it's got a lot of Christianity in it as well, because that's what this movie was made for, it was made for a Christian audience. Made by TBN Trinity Broadcast Network. On the other hand, it's got like 80 percent so called quote unquote we never use this term here Old Testament, but what it means is the the, what I call the original testament and the uh, and you know what we call the Torah, which we actually think and let's just be honest here we think it's the only testament, right? Um, and that's fine, you know, there's this tension, there is a tension between judaism and christianity there's a tension between uh how they see it and how we see it and how i what i always say in front of so many audiences is let's agree to agree i had i had an audience member ask me you know recently you know started talking to me about stuff from from the christian texts and i just said you know i didn't come here for that i came here to talk to you about what i know what i'm connected to and what is important to you as well. So let us, here's my catchphrase, which my friends have taken on, uh, friends that deal with this stuff have accepted, which is let's agree to agree. Let's deal with what we agree on. At the same time, there are uncomfortable moments. That's the truth. There are moments of, of, of tension between uh, Judaism and Christianity because we share we a share faith, and yet there's stuff that we do not share. And that, you know, for us brings up dark memories and uh, you know it's so funny because like you know I don't want to get too much into this but like you know I could see you know Christian folks when they talk to me like I could see that their bewilderment like why don't you want to accept you know our Lord and Savior and that whole business and and I don't know if they know but I think some of them they'll be like I think to myself like why do you need all this stuff for why don't you just stick with with the with the, with the time tested truth without all this you know without all this extra you know storyline that, uh, you know, to me is not, doesn't have that same, the, the, doesn't have the holiness and authenticity in the same way. And, 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 and the point that I just made right now is something to also know when to skirt. It's when to skirt it. We need to say we don't have to argue about the things that divide. Let's talk about Abraham. Let's talk about King David. Let's talk about the Holy Land. Let's talk about the, the Biblical Highway. But even the Biblical Highway has got uh, these two elements. And, and, and the Museum of the Bible has got these two elements. And so, the, you know, the question is, uh, you know, what is the brand? And the question is, what is... It, it did this movie, uh, from my Jewish perspective, add value into this world? Did it bring people closer to Israel and to God? I think it's a resounding yes, without even a question. I was very moved and, 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 and gratified that I had... A big part in this idea of the biblical highway—it was my idea, really—and even the naming of it, Route 60, the biblical highway—and and and the re- and research and all kinds of stuff having to do with this film. The concept is is mine, and and yes, it's it's really it really came to fruition last night. Uh, very very special, and I think a tremendous net positive uh, in this world. And if you have questions about this, and I'm sure you do, write me an email, Yishai isha, and I can happy to discuss it more on the show. And I have many more thoughts on it. Um, But uh, that's the important point, which is, is it a net positive? Uh, Speaking of net positives, uh, koshercycletours.com. They will take you on a beautiful tour uh, on bicycles. I am looking forward to my kosher cycle tour uh, coming up very soon. And I'll look down at my watch and check out my awesome retro watch guy watch. They put out great, both of those have cycles. You see that? Both of those have wheels. And they put out great, cool uh, watches from the 70s. Uh, alive and well today, sixties and seventies. It's like soft rock, sixties, seventies, eighties, and nineties. No, they've got they've got great watches. That's RetroWatchGuy dot com, um, and of course you're going to get hungry. Uh, so check out the good folks at Pickle dot co dot il. They've got some yum yums coming for me as well. That's right. You can order for your favorite show host. Um, here is David Friedman. And you'll hear him interrupted in the beginning by Rabbi Shmueli Botach who, again, made me laugh last night here in Washington, D.C. Here is Ambassador David Friedman, the brainchild behind this amazing movie. I'm standing here with Ambassador David Friedman at the Museum of the Bible. Uh, I'm a little bit breathless because we just watched Route 60, the Biblical Highway, uh, a masterpiece of, of cinematography, storytelling, uh, you were the star, Ambassador Friedman. Uh, you did it together with TBN and Mike Pompeo, and you just sh- went down the biblical highway and told the stories, including the stories of, of faith and leadership, all together. This was your first showing before the big showings across the United States. Tell me how you feel and how do you think the audience felt.
3: Well, it's really encouraging because the audience seemed to love it, and um you know, one after another, people came to me. Never
2: before has Yishai Fleischer had an interruption in a radio show. But I have to say, from the heart, because I'm in a very sincere mood, three days before Rosh Hashanah, David Friedman, having watched that, is a hero. That someone would leverage their ambassadorship and their global contacts and bring in a Secretary of State of the United States to kind of be a student about the Hebrew Bible and the humility that Pompeo shows throughout that. And he, I mean, he said it when he at the beginning in his remarks that David really is the host, and he's kind of like the co-host. That a Secretary of State the United States would for the first time probably ever host a documentary, host any kind of TV show, do one about the Bible, do one about Israel, do one with the best ambassador we ever had uh, from the United States to Israel uh, was an act of humility on his part, an act of education for all of us. Really, David, that is a monumental achievement. I've never seen anything like it. God right, bless you, and I'm bless you in every way. All right, that was well, Rabbi Shmueli uh, Botech.
3: Let him interrupt whatever he wants. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> he can interrupt whatever he wants. Um, look, I think... What, what, what? A few things, a few points. First of all, you know, uh, I'm also a little bit overwhelmed because you know I never have seen the movie before from a perspective of a viewer, of, of sitting in an audience. Right. I've watched it a hundred times. Right. Every time I've watched it, I've made changes, I've made edits, I've, I've owned it, and I've wanted to correct it. And I always kind of, I'm a perfectionist, so this time I, you know, I knew we're done, we're done with the movie. So I was just, um, I was just enjoying it and watching people watch it. I
0: could feel the room, and there was a, a swell of emotion. And I saw people afterwards. There was the credits, and then there was like more interviews with you guys. People didn't move.
3: Yeah, I, I thought the I thought the audience was really at, at rapt attention. And and here's what I, t- I took from it: people of the uh, you know people of uh, of the Jewish faith uh, came to me and said, "Thank God, you've you've brought this to life because." You know, this has been like the the dirty secret of the of the Jewish people. We have these holy places, and they're neglected, and, and and nobody writes about them. When people write about Yudava Shimon, they write about you know the West Bank, and they consider it a place of where there's you know security challenges and demographic challenges. Nobody wants to talk about the fact that this is the holiest you know strip of land in the world, and all of the biblical stories come from there. So people, of the Jewish faith, said thank you for finally. You know, exposing this beautiful territory for the, the the majesty and sanctity that it presents. People of the Christian faith said to me, I learned so much from this. You know, this 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 wasn't the focus of our, um, you know, this wasn't the focus of our theology. You know, we know that God gave the land of Israel to the Jewish people. We want the land of Israel to always be with the Jewish people. We weren't exactly sure what was there. You know, and especially because even people who have gone to Israel many times don't go over the Green Line. And here was a chance for them, you know, in the safety of a theater, to go all around Yudava Shomron and to see it, and to see the majesty, the beauty, the sanctity, uh, and, and the stories of what happened here, and to realize this is all where we come from. This territory, this is the wellspring of all of our values, of all our history. This is our DNA. And I saw it in everybody, you know, and, and I'm, I'm grateful. I hope people, if, if we can get more people to watch it and feel the same way, I think, I think you know, this movie will be successful.
0: All right, one more question before you got to be whisked away. Uh, he's got to go. Um, there was also there was also a breaking of the fourth wall. You saw the you saw the State Department vehicles. You saw the army taking you in. You right. saw you saw like, you saw your microphones. You saw the, the shootings of it. You know of the of the uh, of the video. Uh, there was there was a way that you really you saw that there were weeds close to where your feet were. You brought you made it very raw. Tell me a little bit about that rawness, a little bit.
3: Well, it's, it shouldn't be raw. You know, in other words, this, this, there's no reason why these these places should be any different than uh, you know Tel Aviv and Haifa, but they are. They are right. because this area is embroiled in a needless political dispute that that the world continues to fuel, that the United Nations fuels, that the EU fuels, that even unfortunately America fuels, people in Israel fuel. It's it, it's 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 burying the lead, right? It's taking what's special about this place and burying it because people don't want to confront it because once you know. That this is the place where Abraham walked, where Isaac walked, where Jacob walked, where covenants were given to the Jewish people, where Jesus walked. Once you know all these things, you can't look at it the same way anymore. And so we're sort of forcing people to take a hard look. And it's raw. And and and, and it's you know, and, and and people should look at this and say, you know what? These places should be, you know, magnificent, beautiful areas with, you know, three lane highways and you know, and parks and, 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 and cinemas, and um, it's not there yet, but it will be one day. And I think this is hopefully a step in that direction.
0: Ambassador David Friedman,
3: congratulations. Thank you, Shai. It's a pleasure. Thank you.
0: All right, folks. Uh, That was David Friedman. Very special to hear from him. And I am right now at Reagan National Airport in Washington, looking out at Washington, D.C. And I am... uh, I got here a little bit early, which is not usually my way. I usually get in late to the airports. Got in early, got a chance to sit down and record for you. As I'm sitting here and getting ready for the flight, in my heart is Rosh Hashanah. I'm really, like, I could feel, I could feel the Holy Land calling me back. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to be in the vortex of going back to the land uh, here. Even though I'm in D.C., I'm getting pulled in from D.C. to JFK and to Eretz Israel. Uh, and I'm excited to fly Delta. I like Delta, and I love El Al. And I got to shake hands with the, uh, with the uh, owner of El Al recently, which was really cool. Uh, in any case, um, Rosh Hashanah is really what's pulling me in right now. and the Temple Mount, I'm going to be in Jerusalem, uh, and I'm very excited to to be uh, in Yerushalayim, uh, in the land where God's eyes are from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Uh, I want to tell you that um, uh, I blew the shofar for non-Jewish audiences, and I said to them, you know, the shofar is meant to remind us to repent. And it's meant to remind God... That we're trying real hard to be close to Him and to remember us, to see, to see our good sides. I like that. I like that formulation. I think Hashem put it in my mind. He put it in my heart. That's right. He put it in my mind that uh, it's two sides to it. One is that we should repent, we got, we got a lot of tshuva to do, or teshuva. That's right. And I also got to hang out with my, <laughs> my, my Jewish, Assyrian, Brooklyn brothers and sisters, you know, and they say teshuva, teshuva. So uh, uh, may Hashem uh, put it in our heart To do Teshuva. And may He also uh, Remember That we're trying real hard And not to look at our dark sides but to, and, and not to hide away those dark sides Because that's also part of serving God Which is to fall and get up And to clean off the dirt But, but may He see uh, the good side uh, of, of our efforts uh, To be good people Good servants of God Good Jews Good followers of Torah Speaking of Rosh Hashanah, our very own Ben Bresky uh, has a Rosh Hashanah medley for us, not of music, but of stories and important thoughts uh, for the uh, new year as it was celebrated in previous years. Ben Bresky, take it away.
4: This is a moment in Jewish history. One of my favorite books to read during the high holidays. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, is Days of Awe by the Nobel Prize-winning author S.Y. Agnon. This is a collection of stories, historical tidbits, and traditions from around the Jewish world. Some are sad, some are inspiring. I would like to share with you some of my favorite The first is a journal entry from a Jewish soldier in the Russo-Japanese War, which took place during 1904 and 1905 between Russia and Japan. In the Straits, a memoir from the days of the Russo-Japanese War. Before Rosh Hashanah, a committee of the Jewish soldiers passed through all the hospitals and announced that there would be public prayer for Jewish soldiers on Rosh Hashanah, the committee did not labor in vain. Every Jewish soldier gathered up what was left of his strength and came to the prayers. It was an awful sight. Many of those who came were incapacitated, gloomy, as lean as corpses. Many of us were armless, lame, leaned on crutches, were blind, and bore wounds of every description. Even those of us who were whole had faces that were forbidding and melancholy, with disheveled hair and overgrown beards. When it grew dark, we hung double curtains over the windows, so that the light would not be visible and invite Japanese fire. The evening prayer began. One great sigh filled the house, and we all burst into tears. A crippled soldier leaning on his crutches served as the reader, and his soft voice touched us to the soul. After the evening prayer, we blessed one another with wishes for a good year, but our hearts were sad. Who knew what would happen the next day? Many of us stayed behind to sleep over in the house of prayer and recite psalms. The next morning, a few Jewish doctors joined us in the synagogue, and we honored them with assents to the Torah. During the blowing of the ram's horn, something happened that frightened us badly. The soldier standing on guard outside the synagogue was a little deaf, and when the ram's horn was blown, he thought that it was the battle alarm. He hurried into the house of prayer and told the congregation that we were being called into the field. The house of prayer became a scene of confusion and tumult. Should we interrupt the blowing of the ram's horn? Our hearts pounded and our faces became even more gloomy. It seemed to every one of us as though he could hear the blare of battle and the noise of the drums from afar. It was only after we had rushed outside that it became clear that the deaf guard had mistaken the ram's horn for a bugle. During the prayer beginning, we shall express the powerful sanctity. No words at all were heard in the house of prayer. Only tear-choked voices filled the atmosphere of the little house. The cantor's voice became stronger and stronger and struck sparks in the air. Who shall live and who shall die? Who in his time and who before his time? Those were terrible and awful moments. A Curious Custom from Maase Yisrael I saw a very curious custom in the practice among the Jews of Kurdistan. On Rosh Hashanah they all go to a river that flows at the foot of a hill and say the prayer of the casting, Tashlich. Afterward they all jump in the water and swim around like the fish of the sea instead of only shaking the hems of their clothing on the banks of the river, as our brothers, the children of Israel, do in Europe. When I inquired of them the reason for this curious custom, they answered that, by this act, they are purified of all their sins. For the waters of the river wash away all the sins they have committed during all the past year. When we return home after services, we recite Kiddush over the wine, and recite the benediction with the phrase, Who has kept us alive? Fresh fruit is set on the table during the Kiddush, so that the benediction refers to both the day and to the fresh fruit. Even if a man does not have fresh fruit, he may still recite the benediction. In Poland and in other northern countries, it is customary to recite the benediction over grapes and melons which ripen in the north at that time, but in the land of Israel where the season of grapes and melons is already over, the benediction with the phrase who has kept us alive is recited over pomegranates or olives, and here in the holy city of Jerusalem may it be rebuilt and reestablished, it is the custom in the houses of prayer of the Sephardim to pass pass out olives to the congregation on the evening of the second day of Rosh Hashanah. Reminiscence of an American Farmer From Shishim Shnot Chaim I will never forget the beautiful scene that took place during Kol Nidre, a quorum assembled in the house of one of the farmers. The house was surrounded by trees, the windows were open, and a soft refreshing breeze was blowing. The menfolk, looking very healthy, stood in one room, wrapped in their prayer shawls, while the women stood in the other with sunburnt faces and white dresses. The sad and pleasant Kol Nidre melody flowed into the silence of the night. It seemed as though nature itself was listening to the song of the eternal wanderer, who had at last found a place to rest his head. I remembered the Kol Nidre that my forefathers had chanted, hiding in dark cellars in Spain. There they poured forth their hearts before their God. Their groaning and moaning was contained in the damp, cold earth until such time as the inquisitors came and drew the miserable folk out of the bowels of the earth into the beautiful sunshine and cast them into the fire. Only then could a Jew freely cry the powerful words, Hear, O Israel. The cantor lifted his voice and chanted Kol Nidre for the third time. I seemed to awake from a terrible dream. I saw a beautiful world lying before me. The birds under the window were assisting the cantor in their song. And the heaven and the earth, those witnesses of all that had happened to the people of Israel, were joining in song. Our Creator, Thou art eternal, and Thy folk Israel is eternal. The Flute A certain villager used to pray on the days of awe in the house of prayer of the Baal Shem Tov, 18th century. He had a boy whose wit was dull and who could not even read the letters in the prayer book, much less recite a holy word. His father never brought him along to the city because the boy was completely ignorant. But when the boy became bar mitzvah, his father took him with him to the city on Yom Kippur so as to be able to watch him and keep him from eating from simple ignorance on the holy fast day. Now the boy had a little flute on which he used to play all the time when he sat in the field tending his flock. He took the flute with him from home and put it in his coat, and his father did not know about it. The boy sat in the house of prayer all Yom Kippur without praying because he did not know how. During the additional prayer, he said to his father, Father, I want to play my flute. His father became terrified and spoke sharply to the boy. The boy had to restrain himself. During the afternoon prayer, the boy repeated again, "'Father, let me play on my flute.' Again, the father spoke sharply to his son and warned him not to dare do such a thing. But he could not take the flute away from his son because of the prohibition against unnecessarily handling on Yom Kippur. After the afternoon prayer, the boy said again, "'Please let me play on my flute.' Seeing that the boy wanted badly to play on his flute, his father said to him, Where is the flute? The child pointed to the pocket of his coat. The father took the child's pocket and held it in his hands to keep the boy from taking out the flute and playing on it. Holding the pocket with the flute in this way, the man stood and prayed the closing prayer. In the middle of the prayer, the boy forced the flute out of his pocket and blew a blast so loud that all who heard it were taken aback. When the Baal Shem Tov, who was leading the service, heard the sound, he shortened his prayers. After the prayer, the Baal Shem Tov said, With the sound of his flute, this child lifted up all the prayers and eased my burden. For this child does not know anything but by dint of his seeing and hearing the prayer of Israel all of this holy day, The prayer's holy spark kindled in him an actual fire, and the flame of his longing burned higher and higher until his soul nearly expired. Because of the strength of his longing, he played the note of his heart truly, without any distraction, for the sole sake of the name of God. Now the clean breath of his lips was very acceptable to God, and by this means all the prayers were lifted up. Once our master, Rabbi Chaim of Zanz, 19th century, told a parable. A man had been wandering about in a forest for several days, not knowing which was the right way out. Suddenly he saw a man approaching him, his heart filled with joy. Now I shall certainly find out which is the right way, he thought to himself. When they neared one another, he asked the man, Brother, tell me which is the right way, I have been wandering about in this forest for several days, said the other to him. Brother, I do not know the way out either, for I too have been wandering about here for many, many days. But this I can tell you, do not take the way I have been taking, for that will lead you astray. And now, let us look for a new way out together. You have been listening to excerpts from Days of Awe by S.Y. Agnon published in Jerusalem in 1948. This has been a moment in Jewish history. Thank you to Yishai Fleischer. Thank you to all the listeners, and Shalom.
0: All right, thank you very much, Ben, for that Rosh Hashanah inspiration. All right, let's keep going with Rosh Hashanah preparation with our beloved Rabbi Shimshon Nadel from Yerushalayim giving us the Rosh Hashanah experience. Let's hear from Rabbi Shimshon Nadel.
5: Shalom Yishai. Rosh Hashanah is a strange mix of emotions. The sound of the shofar pierces even the hardest of hearts as the melodies of the chazan cascade up and down an emotional roller coaster. In the liturgy, we invoke fear and dread and exclaim that even the angels tremble, seized by terror. We reflect on how life is so fleeting, like a passing cloud, a fading dream, how we are so fragile, how man is so vulnerable, who will live and who will die. And then we wish one another a happy, sweet new year, happy holidays, before going home to dip apples in honey and eat a festive meal surrounded by family and friends. But just how should we feel on Rosh Hashanah? Is it a day of fear and dread? A day of judgment? Or is it a festival to be celebrated like a festival? The answer is that it is both. And this duality, this dialectic, this conflict, this tension, finds expression in a number of areas of Jewish law and in a number of customs that we observe on Rosh Hashanah. The Talmud discusses whether Halil, the festive prayer of praise and thanksgiving, which we recite on joyous occasions, is appropriate for Rosh Hashanah. And after showing how indeed Rosh Hashanah meets the requirements or criteria of a day on which one would recite Hallel. The Talmud concludes, the ministering angels asked the Holy One, blessed be he, Master of the world, why does Israel not sing praise before you on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? The Holy One, blessed be he, said to them, is it possible that the king sits on his throne of judgment and the book of life and death are open before him and Israel should sing before me? Filled with so much uncertainty and doubt concerning our fate, how can we sing Hallel? How can we even eat? Yet, a famous passage from the Jerusalem Talmud instructs us to celebrate Rosh Hashanah and eat, drink, and rejoice, expressing our confidence and trust in God. Who is like this nation? The Jerusalem Talmud asks The practice of the world is that when one knows that he is standing trial, awaiting judgment, he wears black, wraps himself in black, grows his beard, for he does not know what the verdict will be. But Israel is not like that. They wear white, wrap themselves in white, trim their beards, eat, drink, and rejoice, for they know that the Holy One, blessed be he, will be merciful and forgive them. In fact, many... Authorities draw on this passage to show how it's not appropriate to fast or be sad on Rosh Hashanah. By celebrating the day as a holiday, we express our confidence going into the Day of Judgment. On Rosh Hashanah, we all stand before God. And when one stands before God, yes, there is tremendous fear. But as Rabbi Joseph B. Solovich explained, there's also tremendous joy. In the constant refrain of the Avinu Malkenu prayer, we recognize that God is both Malkanu, our king, but also Avinu, our father. Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach shared the following story. One day, there was a man riding the New York City subway on his way home from work, looking around the crowded subway car. His eyes met the eyes of a woman, and he was instantly smitten. He knew that this was his beshert, the woman destined to be his bride. It was fate. But before he could summon up the courage to approach her, the train stopped at 42nd Street Times Square. And before he could reach her, she exited the train. And trying to get past the crowded subway, by the time he got to the doors, the doors closed on him and the train headed downtown towards 34th Street, Herald Square. He got off at the next stop, 34th Street, and pushed past the crowd, ran up the stairs, knocking over anyone in his way. He made it to the street level, pushing past everyone in his path and was trying to find a taxi to take him to 42nd Street. He sees an elderly couple about to enter a taxi pushes them aside gets in to the taxi and yells at the driver take me to 42nd street now but just as he enters the taxi even before he could get the door shut a police officer who had witnessed all the commotion apprehended the man and began to question him the man tried to explain what was happening i have to find her he said but the cop would not let him go the man tried to run off but soon found himself in the back of the squad car arrested for public disturbance and resisting arrest He spent that night in jail, kicking himself and wondering if he would ever see the woman from the subway. He couldn't sleep. He was completely dejected and feeling depressed and defeated. The next morning he had to appear before the judge. He sat in the courtroom, tired, devastated, depressed, dejected, defeated wouldn't even look anyone in the eye couldn't even lift up his head was looking at the floor and at his shoes but when his name was finally called he was brought before the judge and he looked up and smiling back at him from behind the bench the judge was the woman from the train indeed each and every one of us stands trial on Rosh Hashanah. But we know the Judge. We know the Judge. Wishing all of the listeners a happy and healthy, sweet new year from Jerusalem.
0: Rabbi Shimshon, thank you very, very much. That was great. And let's hope that we all have an awesome Rosh Hashanah experience. And from here, uh, although I am in Washington I'm really on the road to Eretz Israel, and so I already feel myself being uh, a blessing you from Eretz Israel and from the land of Israel from and and from from Jerusalem um, if you're listening to the show that means that somehow it touches uh, the story touches your heart and that you want to bless it and it wants to bless you back that's another thing I said to uh, to non-Jewish audiences Christian audiences I said to them I said to them, I said to them do you guys bless Israel and they all said, yes. I'm like, do you bless Israel? And they're like, yes. I'm like, well, I'm here to bless you back. That's the deal. <laughs> That's the deal. You bless Israel, and I'm here to bless you back. That's why I'm here. I'm here to give you that blessing. It's part of the deal. We have an understanding. You bless Israel and I bless you back. <laughs> in the name of Hashem, of course, not me. Uh, I bless you in the name of Hashem. All right, folks, I want to thank uh, Yochevet Seidman. Uh, not just uh, for show help, but also for... Uh, the logistics for this trip, Ben Bresky, uh, Tabitha, Moshe Herman for getting us out to the Net Waves, and Lou, uh, when we're live for uh, rocking uh, the show and being part of it. I want to thank all the folks that support and donate. Uh, please do so more, especially right before uh, right before Rosh Hashanah. It's a great way to uh, it's tzedakah is a great way to expiate sins. Your gift to um, our efforts here. Uh, I hope will be part of spreading out Torah and therefore uh, will be a merit for you so you could do that at buymeacoffee.com forward slash yeshai, or at YishaiFleischer.com we're now building out biblicalhighway.com and you could see our new animated film a lot is happening Hashem thank you so much for such an amazing and fabulous year and we mourn all the people that fell this last year and we remember them and we thank you Hashem for the greatest gift of them all which is life and the ability to serve you in this life Hashem please give us koach to have another great year please remember our year this past year for good and give us the merit to continue to live and to do your service please heal the sick please help the uh, the the orphan and the widow and, and the weak in the society give us strength to do your will in all those departments God bless you folks from Washington, D.C., en route to Eretz Yisrael. Blessings to you wherever you are. Lots of love, lots of blessings, and shalom.